Hello and welcome into NCBI's Technology Podcast. My name is Stuart Lawler. This is episode number 74 for July 2018. And my God, wherever you're listening, if you're listening in Ireland, you must be boiling at the moment because we've had about two incredible weeks of glorious weather. The sun splitting the stones, every window in the studio and all over my little mobile recording uh, environment, let's say, is open. And um, yeah, anyway, let's just stop talking and uh, let's do this. Welcome in. does put you in great form though doesn't it anyway thank you for downloading and subscribing to our monthly technology podcast we're with us we're with you for uh, just under an hour and a half this month uh, because lucy greco will be talking to us all about dictation bridge uh, we have news and information about our upcoming seminar with freedom scientific and sight and sound on the 13th of july here in ncbi rebecca curtis from our library and media center is along to talk about twin vision books greg stilson product manager from ira is along to tell us all about the service and fanula murphy head of our communications and fundraising team teams will be along to announce the winner of our technology podcast competition. That's all coming up on this month's edition of NCBI's Technology Podcast. Now, in July of 2016, you may remember, if you were listening to the podcast right back then, uh, we had a, a really interesting interview with Lucy Grieco, who was one of a number of people behind a great project called Dictation Bridge. At the time, these guys were involved in a Kickstarter campaign to develop a free solution to allow you to have speech input uh, in Windows using NVDA and JAWS for Windows speech recognition and Dragon Naturally Speak. It was really interesting at the time speaking to Lucy, and I was very excited to see all this chatter on Twitter over the last week or so, because version 1.0 of Dictation Bridge is now live and free for anyone who wants to use it. And Lucy is back from the West Coast of America to tell us all about it. Lucy, welcome back to our podcast. Thank you very much, Stuart. I'm really glad to be back. This is uh, this has been a long couple of it's so long that you forgot we actually were on Indiegogo, not Kickstarter. Oh my God! Okay, Indiegogo. There you go. It's been too <laughs> long. It was a very long time ago, and it was a really, really long, hard haul. So you know, a little bit of uh, memory lapse is more than forgiven. Thank you very much. Okay, listen, we we were just chatting off air there about the uh, the the kind of work you've been doing over the last. It's about twenty months since we checked in with you, but just tell us um because so we left you you were you had the funding campaign going clearly you met the target what happened then well to be precise we met our target with an additional 130 dollars so we made 20,000 and 130 dollars so we were close we were we were very close it was a little scary (laughs) so when we all recuperated from the stress of the uh crowdfunding campaign we had to reshuffle our group and re kind of think. We were all really focused on the crowdfunding so much that we we really needed to get our plan together and get our, our work together. You know, even up until three days before the crowdfunding campaign ended, we thought we were going to drop Jaws because we you know, we had certain levels in our crowdfunding that if we made ten thousand dollars, you'd get NBDA. If you made twelve thousand five hundred you know, you'd get commands with NBDA. Mm-hmm. And the very last level was $15,000. We would do, at that point, Windowized Fusion, 
and 17,500 is where we would start work thinking about doing job and we weren't there. We mm-hmm. weren't even at the 15,000 mark at the beginning of the last week. So it was, uh, it was a little, it was a little nerve wracking. We were kind of making our plans and figure, and then literally in the last five hours, we, we just broke our limits. So it's interesting how the, 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 the landscape, I suppose, has even changed in the last year and a half because Window Eyes at the time, as you say, Window Eyes Fusion and then all that, um, I suppose, has changed because now Freedom Scientific are involved there or VFO. So you, you had to change some direction as you went along. Exactly. And, you know, it, we, we never ended up doing a Window Eyes Fusion because, you know, it was really shortly thereafter that the, the Freedom Scientific Window Eyes merger occurred and we 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 saw the writing on the wall we we knew that if we'd created something for fusion it wasn't going to exist much longer so we weren't going to put development time into that we've done a jaws version now and we've done an nvda version and i want to talk to you a little bit today about that journey because it was a really interesting journey for me and it made me um a lot more cognizant of a lot of different aspects of software development that most people don't have any clue about. And, you know, I live with a software developer. My husband's been developing software for years. And just some of these intricacies just never, ever occurred to me. Yeah, I was thinking about that as I was as, as I was kind of planning this interview, because, you know, 20 months has passed. There was clearly a lot of stuff going on. And you've now built um, a significant product. And we might talk in a moment about some of the changes as well, or some of the differences between the JAWS version and the ND- NVDA version. But tell us about that journey and, and some of the things that happened, because you had a team of very skilled developers, very enthusiastic people behind you, didn't you? Well, we, we started with two people. We started with Matt Campbell, uh, then from um, the sa to go team, and Brian Smart was going to be our JAWS developer early on. And shortly after the crowdfunding, we, we discovered that Brian Smart had other commitments. He had, he had found you know, a real money-paying job that had taken priority for him. And Matt Campbell was our only developer, and he was doing some really excellent, intense work. We found another person to do some JAWS coding for us, and that person created the framework, kind of looked at some ideas, made some decisions, and then said, you know, this is too hard. This is a really, really hard task to do. Uh, You know, I thought I was going to be able to do it. He volunteered to do it. He could not do it. He could not gather the, you know, the right software formula to make it work. So he, he quit. He quit on us. We, we had no means or ways to do the JAWS version at that point in time. Brian still was very tied up in other projects. Matt had no JAWS skill. We were, we were like, well, we obviously have to do something for JAWS because people asked for it. So we started making decisions. What What is the JAWS version going to do? You know, in the meantime, our NVDA product is moving along quite nicely. We, you know, This is about six months in, and we now had NVDA echoing back in all platforms. We were echoing back in Word. We were echoing back in web browsers. We had a really good, reliable dictation echo back tool. And then we had to start thinking about you know, 
is it ready? Maybe we should just ship now. But all it was doing was echoing back. And that's where we started having people actually using the tool and giving us feedback. So we had Patrick Kelly on our team as our uh, number one tester, like the actual end user. And he would give us feedback about, well, hey, when I dictate new line, I'm not getting any feedback from the tool. You know, is it is it actually putting a blank space in or not? Is it entering or not? So, you know, Matt had to bring that kind of echo in. He had to literally hook into the system and capture the fact that a new line was entered and feedback. And, you know, then we had a bug where at one point in time, it would just randomly say new line in the middle of text for no reason. Mm -hmm. Not even, even if you were just typing, if you didn't even have dictation running, all of a sudden you'd get new line. So, you know, you'd open a, a browser window and it would say new line. So we had to get rid of that bug and we had to track it down. So it was, it was just fascinating to watch that work. And we're saying, okay, well, maybe we'll just get echo back in JAWS because we, we made it that far. And, you know, we're not going to do anything else and no fancy features. And then we had a gentleman step up, John Farrow, I believe his last name was, and he offered to do some of the JAWS coding for us. And he did some really excellent work. He was able to get us to the point where we actually could do command and control with JAWS. And then he had some family health problems and had to step away. So here's the JAWS saga continuing. And we found a new developer to step up and kind of fill the gap for us. And I do not remember Tim's last name, and I apologize, but it is, if you check out our web, our, our Dictation Brig web page, everybody's names are on there properly. And Tim was able to, you know, go through, fix out our last couple of bugs and get us to the point where we could ship. Um, we ended up having, you know, a decent product in the end with JAWS, one that works, one that does a lot of the command and control and that echoes back in all the platforms. And we, we didn't think we were going to get that even till the very last two weeks before Tim stepped up. So it was pretty impressive. We were always saying, well, you know, we started this project wanting to do an NVDA thing and it's tough to find a JAWS programmer. And in the end, we came up with both products. It was pretty intense so uh, so software development and you've already sort of talked a bit about the development that's one aspect and the testing and i'm sure there was lots and lots of testing you mentioned your lead tester there what about the the process of of developing the documentation because i suppose when you give somebody a project you have to tell them how to use it did you have people who were kind of writing as the as the project was being developed yes so our First documentation lead was part of the team to begin with. She was very active with us during the crowdfunding campaign. That was Erin Lawrenson. And last April, she got a directorship position at the San Francisco Lighthouse for the Blind. And, you know, coincidentally, that was actually one of our larger sponsors. That was our largest sponsor, in fact. But uh, she got a director of assistive technology position, which, of course, any director position takes 90 hours a week or more. So she had to uh, step down. So Joseph Lee from the NVDA community stepped up. He is a communications major and he took over our documentation team. Uh, you know, so we gave him access to a copy of Dragon. We let him run with the plugins and we said, here's Aaron's you know, framework, what she's created. 
he wikiized it and made the whole documentation um, for us, did a lot of work on that. We went through, tested it, modified. We've been working on the documentation since January of 2017. It's, you know, and we've actually added our documentation to WikiHub because, or to, to as a, a GitHub page, sorry, not WikiHub, for people to contribute to an update because you know, we know our documentation isn't as complete as thorough and as thorough as it could be. So we're even accepting um, updates to our documentation on GitHub. And I suppose that's the beauty of this project. It's all freely available. People can tweak and add if they have the skills to do so, right? Correct. Um, our, you know, <laughs> we've had a real saga with software and this software developers in this story. Uh, late last, no, early last year, Matt Campbell actually got a full-time job at Microsoft and he's now working on uh, narrator at Microsoft, which meant of course he couldn't code for us anymore. So we have a phenomenal NVDA coder working with us now. Uh, Derek Reamer, who actually is a core contributor to NVDA and has worked with the NVDA team quite closely as a, you know, volunteer contributor. So he's been doing a lot of our coding on the NVDA side of the software. And it's, it's a, a huge team. People have to be very skilled. You, you have no idea, Stuart. <laughs> yeah, it does sound like it has been, I'd say a bit of a roller coaster, but you know, you're there now and you have, and I've been playing with the, the JAWS version the last couple of days. You have a really good product. Tell us maybe, Lucy, just give us a, a, a maybe a, a synopsis of, because I, I do understand there are differences in the NVDA and JAWS version. And I think you're probably suggesting people should look at the NVDA version because there are more features available. Is that correct? Not very many. I mean, the, the, the intricacies of the features are things like being able to get feedback when you delete things, being able to get feedback um, in more places. I think we had a little bit more trouble with JAWS in the browser, but it, it's working fairly well now. I mean, Tim didn't take, we can't do it in JAWS as an answer. So he, he caught us up pretty quick. And are there are there differences around what you can do? Because some, I know there are sort of commands or dictation. I think you mentioned commands earlier. Can you use commands, for example, open Word or open Notepad, whatever it is, and then dictate? Or can you just all dictate? of the above? Um, it's if you don't go through the documentation, you might not ever actually get to those because you actually have to add the commands separately. So, and I, I apologize, I've not actually done adding commands in JAWS. Okay. I, I, I also have a real life. <laughs> so I left that testing to Patrick. Um, but you can add commands. And if you go through our manual, it will tell you how to add the commands. I'll give it to you for how you do it with NVDA. You go into the NVDA menu and tools, and we've added an option to that tools menu that said install dragon or install speech commands and then in there there's a choice for dragon or for microsoft speech and literally that runs the script that adds the commands to dragon or microsoft speech okay and microsoft speech one is is actually a little complicated there's an application you have to install uh for macroizing it but it's all free it's just you have to follow the steps very closely and i think joseph did a really good job of uh, 
detailing how those steps work. And they're there for JAWS as well. I just haven't read them because I don't have time. What's the difference in functionality? Because I, I tried it on Windows 10 with Microsoft Speech. So that's, that's a free solution. Uh, you know, the whole thing is free, which is the beauty of this. But what's the difference in functionality uh, if you have Dragon? Is there more? Is there more available to you? Dragon is programmable to be, you know, I mean, they'll say it's scriptable. You can do a lot more with Dragon, like create voice macros. So where you might say, thanks a lot, signed off, you know, new line, Simon, new line, reach me at new line, da, 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 da. You could actually do that as a voice macro. You could just say add signature. Okay. And that capability with Microsoft speech recognition requires three applications to do it. So Dragon is really scriptable and powerful. You know, a year and a half ago, I would have told you that the voice recognition in Microsoft speech recognition isn't as good. You know, you might have 90% accuracy, whereas Dragon, you'd get 98% accuracy. Microsoft has made phenomenal advances in the past year and a half. Their speech recognition works incredibly well, incredibly well. And they have been watching the Dictation Bridge project quite closely. And one of their developers has even you know, reached out to us a couple of times to help a little bit with what's going on. So they really want people to be able to use a free solution for Dictation. And they were very happy to help us. I was really interested the other night. I used it in a very basic way, I suppose, with Notepad. And I was dictating text in, and it was incredibly accurate. And I was speaking, you know, very naturally, uh, pausing after each sentence. And there was the odd error. And then, of course, I was going back to the keyboard and fixing the errors. I'm thinking, am I, am I correct in saying you can correct those errors with your voice? Yes, you can. You can correct those errors with your voice. Um, the, the process is slightly different in both applications. Uh, you say, correct that in Microsoft Word, I believe, and you say, scratch that in Dragon. Sorry, in Microsoft Speech Recognition, you say, correct that. And in Dragon, you say, scratch that. Okay. You, you, you mentioned the internet a while ago and this idea of being able to browse the web with your voice. It sounds really exciting. Is it good? And, and are there particular browsers that you guys favor or, or, or does that matter? It shouldn't matter. I mean, I don't think Edge is ready yet. <laughs> we don't, we yeah. don't think Edge is ready yet for anything, do we? Right, right. <laughs> um, it, it works. Derek worked in Chrome a lot. I worked in Firefox. Uh, Patrick, I believe, worked in IE. So, you know, we all tested it in different browsers. It actually was working very well. The nice thing about having screen reader commands added to the applications is, as a blind person, we get the advantage of a screen reader command on the web that a person who's just using speech recognition does not. And then the web is actually one of the more powerful tools within Dragon that Microsoft Speech does not have as well. So we're all familiar with ARIA in the screen reader world, where we have landmarks and we have buttons that are labeled with ARIA. Dragon will recognize ARIA. Microsoft Speech will not. So you can say with Dragon uh, things like click and then whatever the ARIA label is for something. The, the real you know, plus to that is, is if you actually know what the ARIA label is, which sometimes you don't because the screen reader will read it, but 
the sighted person might not actually hear the ARIA label. So with the screen reader, we can hear those labels and we can say to Dragon, click, you know, go button. You know, the button might actually have a completely different label, but the ARIA label is go button and Dragon recognizes it and sees it. But we can also say, you know, next heading, previous heading. Yeah. Those are some of the commands. Literally, you should see the chart that Derek created. He's he just went in and started, you know, going through every single command and then adding it to Dragon and telling Dragon how to actually complete that action. Okay, that was that was a five month project for him. I I get. I get the um, I get the feeling that maybe if you're because I was sort of playing with this the other night and, and I I could see uses for example if I want to dictate an email and I'm sitting there and I just don't want to type it I would probably play around with this and use Windows speech recognition I get the feeling if you're really serious about this stuff and you really want to get into dictation with Dictation Bridge maybe you should buy Dragon and Dragon is not it's not it's not hugely expensive anyway sure it's not. No, there are versions of it that sell for fifty dollars US. You know, the more powerful versions are ones that like lawyers would use, where mm. it actually includes a legal dictionary. Okay, it actually knows words like habeas corpus and all the rest of that. Okay, okay, but but, but for the for the for for people who might be want to try this out and maybe want to experience that web functionality, which could be very useful. Uh, that that fifty dollars, roughly fifty dollars version of Dragon should be okay. Uh, they should even be able to use the Windows speech recognition today. Okay. Derek has been able to add those commands to Windows as well. Okay, so right now people can download, to go to the website dictationbridge.com, we'll put on the show notes, and people can download the package. I, I got the, the version uh, for JAWS. It was very straightforward to install. Um, and, and you just kind of, it, it asks you to start your screen reader. And I guess reading the documentation around the same time is extremely helpful because you've got to understand how to get the dictation going with, with either a Dragon or Windows Speech. Yes, it's very important to read that because if you don't read the documentation, you've missed that part of it that tells you how to install the speech commands into the screen, into the speech recognition program. So just installing the dictation bridge package doesn't tell Dragon what the screen reader commands are. There's additional steps to that. We weren't able to put those two things together. And it's a very important thing to note that we didn't do that because when you do that, you need to actually get higher security levels on a person's computer than we were willing to actually access. You know, we did not want to have to have the person run as a full administrator throughout the entire installation process. You have to be an administrator to give it permission to install, but we needed a much higher level security level to do that going into Dragon and adding commands into Dragon at mm-hmm. the same time as modifying the screen reader. So we separated that. Lucy, thank you for giving us the story and bringing us up to date. It's a great story. I suspect we're going to be back in touch again. I don't think we've heard the last from Dictation Bridge at all. Um, no, we'd, we'd, love to, we'd love to keep in touch with you. And, uh, you know, we apologize it's taken so long. Remember, it's a volunteer process. And yeah, but it's an example of a great volunteer project that has come to fruition and produced something really good for the community. So I think the length of time, certainly from my perspective, length of time is not the issue. It's the fact that this has been done. And clearly you guys have stuck at it and are very committed to it. So 
major congratulations. Fact, we, we could have released it with just Echo Back. Okay. And that would have met our goal. We did not want to do that. We wanted to add the stuff that made it really great. All right, Lucy, many thanks again. Major congratulations and thank you for talking to us. Thank you, Stuart. you're listening to NCBI's technology podcast for July 2018. My goodness, I was just thinking the other day that uh, the the year is halfway gone already. Uh, Apologies, by the way, for our slightly later than usual release. Uh, We usually publish on the first of the month. Few things were going on um, for which we were waiting uh, in terms of podcast content. Not least, uh, we had to process our competition winner. And you'll hear a little bit about that later on. As I've mentioned already, Fanula Murphy will be along to tell us who has won our podcast competition celebrating our six years in existence and that lovely one for all 50 euros gift voucher with thanks to our friends from Fujitsu Ireland and thanks to Lucy Greco for telling us all about Dictation Bridge that piece was actually recorded on the 10th of March and it's one of those things that I sort of left in the can and then said it'll be out next month and next month and sometimes what happens is that things that are time sensitive have to go out immediately and stuff like like Lucy's piece gets pushed back and I only noticed when I was editing it the other day that it's actually quite a while ago since we recorded it so apologies Lucy but thank you very much for giving us the time and what Dictation Bridge has done by the way is really great because it's a great example of free and open source solutions being made available for the use of the community and I encourage everybody to download it and try it out with uh, either JAWS or NVDA. Now on the June edition. You may may remember Dave Nason was along talking about FlickType. If you haven't tried this yet, and and by the way, I personally haven't, and that's just because I I don't use these things. I'm I'm a bit bit of a Luddite when it comes to this stuff. I'm using hardware hardware devices to connect with my phone. But anyway, if you haven't tried it yet, you certainly should. Um, It's very like Flexi, the old version of Flexi. Uh, It's an app with a a, a keyboard and it allows you to type and it approximates where, where where you put your fingers. And Dave explained it all to us. Well, Dave was in touch to tell us that Flexi has now gone system-wide. It's a system-wide keyboard, and that's brilliant because it means you can use it anywhere in the system where you would be inputting text. So you don't have to go into the app anymore and type and then, you know, copy the text into another application. You can still do that if you want, but you don't have to. You can get a free um, seven-day trial of this app in the App Store, and then there's it is on a subscription-based model of 99 cents per month. So um, if you think an app like that with the system-wide functionality would be of use to you, then definitely worth um, worth your while giving it a try. Uh, it's in the App Store, seven-day free trial and then 99 cents per month thereafter. And thanks, Dave, for the update on that. Now, on the 13th of July, it's coming around pretty much again. Uh, Eric Damery from Freedom Scientific, part of the VFO group, and our friends from Sight & Sound are coming back to NCBI for another great... Um, I was going to call it a party. I don't know if party is the correct word. A seminar, I suppose, with lots of giveaways, which gives it the uh, the party feel. Uh, Eric Damry, of course, is Vice President of Software Product Management. It's always a great show when Eric is, is in NCBI. Uh, and we're delighted once again to be hosting this event uh, with VFO and Sight and & Sound, uh, taking place on Friday the 13th of uh, July between 11am and 1pm at our Rehabilitation Training Centre in uh, NCBI on Whitworth Road. Now, it is a ticketed event. The ticket 
tickets are free, but you have to order on our Eventbrite page, which is linked to on um, ncbi.ie forward slash technology. I'm also putting a direct link for the event on the show notes for this month's episode. There's not that many tickets left, by the way, so uh, get in quick if you want to go to that event. We will also be providing a live stream of the event, and there are some amazing offers like uh, Jaws Home Edition for €129.95. Jaws Upgrade, you can upgrade any version, uh, upgrade from any version of Jaws to the latest version for €107.37. Zoom Text uh, Mag Reader for €107. A Zoom Text Upgrade is going to cost you €75. There's just amazing stuff there. If you can't attend the event and you would like to take advantage of the offers, then you can do that by sending an email right now to FS, F for Freedom, S for Scientific, event. So that's all one word, FS event at ncbi.ie. And we will be passing those emails to Sight and Sound, who will be in touch with you to process the order after the 13th of July. So if you'd like to get in touch and you can't come to the event, don't worry. Send an email to FS event at, uh, free, at I'm going to say, FS event at ncbi.ie. Uh, and um, we will be able to pass those orders to Sight and Sound, who are looking after the promotional offers on behalf of Freedom Scientific. Now, there's also lots of hardware available, uh, Pearl cameras, um, Ruby CCTV, and of course, the L Braille and Focus Braille displays. So go on to ncbi.ie forward slash technology. All the prices are there and email fsevent at ncbi.ie if you would like to go. Uh, We will also have a live audio stream on the day. More details about that. Watch our social media and and emailing lists and our website. We'll be posting all that information next week. One of the best gifts you can give anybody, I think, is the gift of reading. Exploring books and losing yourself for hours in pages is something that has never gone away with all the technology that we're surrounded by nowadays. And we're delighted uh, this month to announce a really exciting innovation from our library and media, media service. And to tell me all about it is Rebecca Curtis, who has really been spearheading this exciting project. Rebecca, welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much, Stuart. I think it's your first time. It is. So you're very welcome. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for coming in today. Just before we talk about all the great things that you're doing, tell us a bit about, about yourself. I know you've been in NCBI for a while. Yeah, I've been in NCBI for about 15 years now. Okay. Um, I was, I've always been based in the library, um, even before the library relocated to Finglas. So I have been based here in head office for a short time. Um, I have been working on Daisy Books and uh, recently, having completed a Braille course, I'm now working in Braille production. Okay. And that Daisy piece, I suppose, is interesting, isn't it? Because there is a lot of talk nowadays about Daisy and people using Daisy on all sorts of different devices and Daisy in education and leisure. So I gather that's something that's not going away anytime soon. Not as far as I'm concerned. Uh, We'll always have it as a service. We're eager to continue developing it and providing an easily accessible service to our clients. We focus mainly on leisure books, be it fiction or non-fiction, for both adults and junior members. Okay. So we're here actually today to talk about something kind of different, and it it relates to Braille. So anytime that something relates to Braille, Rebecca, I get quite excited. I know you do as well. And by the way, you're one of the 
people that I really enjoy chatting to because here's a fully sighted person who's really passionate about Braille. Were you always kind of, did, did Braille just grab you from the time you started working? In as soon as I started working in NCBI, I received some training in Braille production. Um, unfortunately, I ended up uh, focusing completely on Daisy for a while and then the opportunity came back where I could learn Braille but not just through software such as Duxbury. This was me actually learning physical Braille, sitting down, typing it by hand using a Perkins and I absolutely loved it. I really enjoy Braille and for something that it's just so simple and logical to use Mm. um, and it's create so many possibilities and open so many doors for braille users that you can't help but be passionate about it it's such a fascinating subject and uh, media to work in i often wonder when i talk to people who are fully sighted who learn braille and i often say to them you know when you're chatting to your friends is it a kind of conversation you have when you're out at dinner or you're having a drink oh yeah and i i, I you know I, I can read braille i can write braille and people go wow that's kind of interesting but again maybe it's just like saying i can speak japanese you know? well for many sighted people it is it's not something that they have to consider on a daily basis we can just pick up a menu and read it we can read signs so learning something like braille it's a, a completely different concept to them by reading with fingers I don't, I'm not a tactile braille reader I read braille by sight and mm. um, tactile braille reading is a fantastic skill and it's not something I, I can develop just yet I, do, I wouldn't have the sensitivity yeah. um, but the, I get so many questions about it say, is it the shape of the letter is it how does it work and when I tell them it's just down to six little dots in a cell and you can have any amount of words in those six little dots yeah they're fascinated by it and I tend to talk the ears off people. <laughs> okay, that's great. We need more people like you. Okay, so look, let's talk about, because we're here today, there's loads of books on the desk in front of me. We're here to talk about Twin Vision. Maybe by way of just introducing Twin Vision and why NCBI did it, I guess we've heard and we've talked on this podcast before about UEB's Unified English Braille Code. I think it's controversial uh, depending on who you talk to about it, Rebecca. Some people don't like it, but I think most people do. And as a, a long-time Braille reader, I would say personally, there's virtually no difference when you when you get used to reading this thing. Um, in terms of UEB, NCBI made that transition last year, didn't they? We did, yes. And all my training um, has been in UEB Braille. When I did Braille originally a few years ago, it was SEB, but that was through Duxbury. So for me, there was no great change in learning UEB Braille. Um, a lot of our books in the library are currently SEB, and the all new books that we produce are in UEB. Uh, so for experienced Braille readers, there has been... Well, I, I wouldn't say we've had much of an impact, really. It's Everybody's been embracing UEB books. Um, and for younger readers now, which is why we're, we're here to discuss this today, learning Braille, if they're learning UEB in school, definitely we need to continue UEB books for leisure. Okay, because lots of, lots of kids, as you say, learning UEB now, yes, there's loads of UEB material available for yeah. their school books, but they need something to read outside of school. So Absolutely. You, you came up with this great solution. Absolutely. I, um, I, was always, I always loved reading as a child myself, mm-hmm. and having access to books outside of school was something I, I always enjoyed. I always found reading relaxing. So if you're learning 
to read print or learning to read Braille in school. It's great to have it to carry over into your leisure time, say sitting down to read a book with a parent. It's a nice way to spend time with a parent. Um, but if you're learning UEB and you're suddenly, the only books you can get are SEB, that's not really what you need. So we need to, we're developing our UEB for junior readers and focusing a lot on twin vision books uh, at the moment. This is my, my new favourite pr uh, project. It's um, a combination of print and UEB Braille. Uh, we can bespoke it to whoever wants to avail of the service if they're looking for contracted braille or uncontracted braille and we can adjust line spacing, whatever makes life easier for you. In the Twin Vision we have braille over print so you can have a sighted person reading alongside a braille reader be it a child learning braille or a parent reading to a sighted child. And that's the bit that, that jumped out at me, I have to say, when you showed this to me, because um, I have a goddaughter who's four and a half, and I want to be able to support that when I'm with her, because I think reading is so important. And my niece is six and a half, so she's in first class now, or going into first class rather this year. She's exploring reading. And I, I really think this kind of stuff is fantastic. Obviously for the kids it is as well, but for visually impaired adults who want to make sure that fully sighted kids have the best support they can when they're, you know, when they're reading, this is perfect. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Um, for me, when I was learning to read, I'd have a parent sit alongside me to mm -hmm. read with me. And if I or one of them needed an alternative format to read together, it's not something you can just pick up in a shop. So it is vital that we fill that gap by developing such a service. Right, and it's interesting you mentioned that because when I was learning to read, probably a little bit longer than when you were learning to read. <laughs> anyway, when I was learning to read, I had these Braille books that were came from the RNIB. And my dad, I distinctly remember this, had the print version. And we never synch synchronized it, even though he spent a lot of time learning uh, the uncontracted Braille alphabet. He'd be there, hang on, where are you, Stuart? Hang on, I've tried to look. You're on Braille page six. And of course, the Braille pages and, and the print pages didn't sync. No one had thought of the idea back then to put the print pages on the Braille copy. So we never got it right, through no fault of his own. That's way. what we've done here. We have Braille and print synced together, page for page. Yeah. Um, for our very young readers, we have uh, colourful picture books. Um, it may engage a sighted parent or a partially sighted child who's learning the Braille. They can pick up on the pictures and the images there and the, the bright colours. But with some of the books we've developed for older readers, we have Braille on one side of the page and print on the other, reflecting exactly what is there. Mm -hmm. And there's no runover from Braille um, page one to Braille page two that is not on print page one. Yes. Print page yeah, two. They are exact. How do you how do you go about doing this? Because I it some of the stuff you showed me this morning, and there are different types of books, and I know you're still fine tuning some of this stuff. And I suppose um, depending on what age somebody is, they'll get a, a different type of book. But how do you produce this stuff? Because I'd say it's quite time consuming. It is somewhat time consuming, but for me, if it's worth doing right, it takes time. Yeah. And that if I have to spend two days perfecting this when it would take me one day doing something else I'm happily going to give that time mm -hmm. um, because I am passionate about reading and books so to get it right to make the reader's experience easier 
that that doesn't matter to me. I'm happy to do that. But with regards to production, I make sure my Braille is exact. And then I can easily check what content is on a Braille page and then just cut and paste my Word document to match what's on that Braille page. And I just take it from there. It takes a little bit of time, but to me, it's worth doing. You were talking about the books with the colourful pictures, and I was just kind of thinking of scenarios where if you're a blind child reading with a sighted parent, they can sort of, you can read along, they can tell you what the pictures are. But if you're a visually impaired uh, adult reading with a sighted child, you can say, tell me what's in the picture. There must yeah. be a picture on that page. Have we missed it? You know, so it, it, it generates another bonding, yeah, I suppose. For me, reading with my own daughter, mm. she's not at the reading stage yet, but she loves describing the pictures. So you're going to get that experience. Um, just a book that's here in front of me. I know my daughter would be saying, look, there's birds. There's, yeah. there's a lighthouse. I can see the sea. And that's like learning your speech, developing speech. Yeah. It's all vital. It's an incredible bonding experience. Absolutely. And look, there are so many pluses to this stuff. And and reading, and again, we're going back to, especially for the visually impaired kids, we're going back to this thing about literacy, uh, early access to Braille, and we're investing in someone's future because we can be very sure that these guys have a much better chance of getting employment later in life. Absolutely. So, Rebecca, tell me about these, uh, because I suppose people, I've no doubt there'll be people listening who will be wanting to pick up the phone and speak to you to put in their orders. How is it, I suppose, what's available, first of all, and can people order sort of additional titles? If I had a title, you know, at home, sitting at home in print, can you produce it in Braille? If somebody has a book that they want produced in Braille, please contact me. Um, We can discuss the options of production. If it's a book that they own and they want to keep, Yes, we can produce the Braille and add to that. If it is a specific request, we do have copyright and permission issues that we need to explore. Um, So as before, with all books we produce, we seek permission before we produce it, and that will continue. There may be a little delay on that, but with the Irish publishers especially, they have been fantastic in providing uh, permission. We're talking days turnaround. Uh, International books can take a little bit longer, but... If you want to get a book produced in Braille, contact me and we will discuss the options and we will move on as soon as possible. Um, As I said, with Twin Vision, it is a bespoke service. So you tell me exactly your requirements. If you want it contracted and you want a double line spacing, I can do that. This is about your reading experience and we need to make this as easy as possible for you. Can you even do something? I'm thinking of, in particular, kids who are learning Braille, and somebody might say, listen, my daughter, she, at the moment, is just doing the and for of their width contractions. Can you just do those and Absolutely. nothing else? Yeah, you see, that's, that's fantastic. That's really brilliant. Yeah, it's... Uh, for me, I want to help children develop a love of reading. If people find... If, if people enjoy reading and develop their reading skills in their leisure time it will feed back into their education. It will help them develop the skills that will bring them on to third level and employment. Braille is vital for this. Mm-hmm. And by developing your skills at an early age, we'll help you go as far as you possibly can. 
Okay, so this is a highly customized, highly bespoke service, highly specialist service as well, by the way. Um, and you've put a huge amount of time into um, developing this. So, Rebecca, I have no doubt your phone's going to be ringing, your email will be busy. How can people get in touch with you, by the way? You can contact me via email, rebecca.curtis at ncbi.ie, or contact the library and uh, at 018642266, and I will be happy to assist you. Okay, I wonder if there any way we can clone you, because you might end up being more busy than what I'm not the only one there (laughs) there are many of us there with these skills and like I'll have my little team going (laughs) Uh, Rebecca what a what a great what a lovely thing to be able to talk about in the podcast and you know something another wonderful uh, innovation from our library and media service so major congratulations thanks for coming in to talk to us about it and looking forward to this service going from strength to strength thank you for having me today Stuart About a year ago, I was introduced to a service called IRA. If you've been on some of the blindness-related email lists here in Ireland, and for many people outside of Ireland, and if you've been watching social media, you've probably heard of IRA at this stage. Um, if you're like me, you're potentially very excited about it. And I was one of the very lucky people who got to try this technology last year in Trinity College using some amazing smart glasses. There's lots to talk about with IRA, and uh, not least uh, because IRA are launching an exciting pilot program in Ireland uh, right now and uh, are anxious for people to sign up. So with us to tell us all about it uh, from the United States is Greg Stilson, who's product manager with IRA. Greg, welcome to NCBI's podcast. Oh, thanks, Stuart. It's great to be here. Uh, Great to have you. Um, Thank you for coming on to talk to us. I suppose I've been excited about this. I've been talking to the IRA people. We've been chatting to them here in NCBI for probably eight or nine months. Um, and now we're getting to the point where people are beginning to get this technology in, into their hands. But for people who maybe who don't know, can you just tell us what is IRA? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. So um, myself, I am uh, I'm an IRA explorer as well. So I I um, I used IRA even before I joined the company. Um, so I've been using the, the technology for about eighteen months now and um, have fully integrated it into my life. Uh, but IRA is a service that basically connects a blind or low vision person with a live trained uh, sighted agent. And when I say trained, that is really what differentiates us from anything else in the world is the critical, um, really intense training that our agents uh, go through. And the um, so basically what happens is you as a, we call uh, our users IRA Explorers, um, you as an explorer will uh, use an app on your smartphone um, and either use the phone camera or, uh, as, as Stuart mentioned, as you mentioned, the uh, IRA glasses um, as part of the package, uh, have a camera on them and it makes things like hands-free uh, tasks a lot easier, navigation tasks and things like that. Um, but you'll connect up to a live um, human agent and the agent is actually what's really powerful is they're not just looking at like a FaceTime call. They actually have a full, it looks like a mission control style dashboard that's on their computer. And this dashboard provides them so much information. And uh, what's what's exciting about it is that when you make your first call, you'll actually go through an onboarding session with uh, with the agent. And this session is really critical because it teaches you as the explorer um, 
how much vision the agent has from your camera. So uh, they use it. They do an exercise with your hands. Uh, if you have the glasses that um, you you separate your hands, and they say, "Okay, I can see both your hands now," and then you move them closer to each other to see when they when they can see them and when farther apart when they can't. So it gives you as a user. Um, an idea of really how much vision they can see. And then you will fill out a profile um, with a lot of details about how you like things described. And that's really where I think Ira separates itself um, so drastically is every call is catered to the explorer. So your profile, you will have in your profile that will pop up every time you call things like how do you like things described do you like a lot of detail do you like a little detail on a scale of one to five how much do you like um myself for example i don't always need to know exactly how many tree or how many leaves are on the tree mm-hmm. but i need to know there's a tree there and mm-hmm. i'd like to know the color uh things like that but you know there's level five detail you're talking you know really really detailed stuff and so i i put myself i think at a three which is great for me but some people may and especially what's really cool is you can modify that and say okay i'm going to a museum tomorrow and i want level five detail because you really want a lot of detail about the you know maybe the pictures that you're seeing or the the uh, you know the sculptures and stuff like that um so that's all customizable but i think one of the really powerful things is you specify what uh travel tool you use so are you a guide dog user or are you a cane user and what how do you like uh directions given to you do you like them as the clock face uh offers or do you like left right uh forward back you know that kind of stuff or do you like cardinal directions that kind of um thing and so all of those pop up when you make your call uh so the agent sees your profile they see all the details and they can customize the way they describe things according to your choices um and it's really interesting because i was watching a lot of youtube videos about ira because there's so many of them you put ira into youtube there's, there's hundreds of stuff up there but i mean there was somebody the other day on the london underground got off their train and as many of us do you're standing on the platform going, which direction do i get how do i get out of this place yeah. and got an ira agent on the phone and it was incredible to just see that video yeah it's um i i remember watching that one and it was i think it was one of the first uh ira users that we had in in london and she was uh using it to, to and she was going up and down platforms and, and to yeah. various different platforms and things and it, it resulted in obviously her getting on the, the correct train and where she wanted to go uh, and, um, and, and you know I, I suppose there are so many scenarios that you could think about uh one that would maybe pop into my head is because it happens a little bit here in ireland you 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 arrive on a flight and maybe something gets mixed up in the communications and uh the um the customer service people who are uh, there to give you um assistance to, to to the terminal from the plane either don't turn up or they get delayed and the plane mm-hmm. is empty and you're trying to get off the plane it could be useful in that situation i tell you Stuart, the uh one of the first conversations i had with our ceo suman kanyaganti um this is obviously way before i would joined ira even before i was an ira explorer is i heard this concept about ira and i traveled a lot from my previous job um, and i i told him flat out i said if ira can get me from 
my, you know, plane where I land to, you know, out to the taxi station or to catch an Uber or whatever, independently without needing to rely on anybody from the airport. Because I, you know, as a blind person, I struggle with the same challenges that everyone does. Those those folks, um, as they often mean well, sometimes they're not very well trained, or they just flat out don't show up. And I'm not the type of person that likes to just sit there idly I, i'm very very high energy so i have to be moving a lot and uh you know i said if you can if, if ira can can help me get through the airport independently um i said i'm hooked at that point and i i will never forget my first ira experience it was at uh, a conference in the states called atia in orlando florida i landed uh, i was trialing the service i landed in orlando i landed at my gate hooked up with an ira agent and what's what is so powerful about this dashboard is on the dashboard not only is my profile there but my gps location is on the on the dashboard they see a uh, live google map of my location and if a indoor map is available via google or or whatever service that we're, we're tied into they'll see an indoor map of um of, of the venue that I'm at. So, for example, in, in Orlando, I believe there was a, a live map that was available in the airport, and they could actually see what gate I landed at. What's even more cool about that is they can query um, things like restaurants in the airport. Um, so if you're stuck in a layover and you know you're going to be there for a while, you can go get something to eat or get, you know, at minimum, find a restroom, you know, independently and not need to go ask somebody. So I... I um, I landed in Orlando and I got off the plane and I called up the IRA agent. She was able to pinpoint exactly where I was. She pulled up the map for the airport and was able to tell me, you know, using the video feed plus my GPS plus the map, we got out to the uh, the Uber station or the place where I called an Uber and I got to the hotel. And I did that all independently, Incredible. did not need to, to ask a, a, an assistant, uh, didn't need to go through any of that. So. That was where I was hooked at that point, Stuart. I was like, this is a true, true game-changing technology and one that I had never seen before. Um, what, what, do and- the, what, what do the agents kind of say about all this? Because it must be, it must be a really, I would say, in sometimes quite an intense job for them. You know, in, in, say in a situation like that, maybe they're trying to get you through a busy airport. Maybe, you're, maybe you were in a hurry and you need to get a taxi quickly. Um, again, somebody getting off a of London Underground, like that's kind of very reactive stuff. You know, it is, and that's that's really one of the things that I, I our, our um, vice president of customer experience, Amy Bernal, she and and our agent team set forth very very early on that they have the highest standards for our agents possible. So we get over, I think we've gotten over six to eight thousand uh, applicants applications to be IRA agents because it's a powerful job, right? I mean, mm. it, number one, it's a paid it's a paid uh, thing. These aren't volunteers. These are people who want to do this as a full-time or part-time job. So it's a really cool job and it's a way for them to, you know, an IRA agent to, to help out somebody who, um, you know, to basically be somebody's eyes. And it's so that that's a really cool story to tell. Right. So these people want to, um, to, to, to do this as a job, but the reality is they, Amy and, and her team set out the highest expectations possible. And so we only hire about 1% of the, the applicants that we, um, that, that we receive and the standards, they, they, they basically go through a very rigorous screening process. And then if they are selected, there's a 30 day 
basically training boot camp that they go through where they learn everything from and, and they're not at all orientation mobility experts but what we teach them is orientation and mobility terms and knowledge so that um, they understand the way that you travel and so they can describe intersections the way that you learned what they look like so is this a, a three-way intersection a four-way intersection a t intersection you know however you want to say um, so they describe things in the way that you'll understand um, because that's how your your orientation and mobility training you know mm-hmm. got you to where you are um, but I think one of the biggest things that that gives our agents you know makes them what they are is that they're taught to think like a pair of eyes and not a brain and that's that's a big uh kind of slogan here at ira is that our agents think like a pair of eyes not a brain they provide objective information um they'll be able to provide you their opinion if you ask for it um but if you say you know uh does this shirt match these pants for Mm. example or whatever they'll say well that's a blue shirt and these are black pants and they can ask they can say well what do you think do these you know what's your opinion if they if you directly ask them for it if they feel comfortable they're they're more than welcome to give it to you um but some agents may not some agents will say i i I don't that they're you know these are the colors and things like that so um and and and, you know i suppose i'm sure there are other things i I think i remember reading somewhere that if you're crossing a road if you're at a, a crossing and it's a busy road an agent will not tell you when it's safe to cross isn't that correct so what they they'll the second that you step off the curb um they they will not that's the, the last thing that you will hear is an agent say i'll remain silent while you cross um mm-hmm. because it's a safety issue yeah. um at this it's a safety you need to be able to hear the traffic um things like that so what what they will do is when you arrive at an intersection they can guide you to the uh, traffic signal button they can um orient you to where the um you know where the, the the tactile plate or the curb cutout or whatever it is, that is, um, and what's what I love about it is if I arrive at a location where I've never been before, they can describe the intersection to me. They can say that you have uh, you know six lanes of traffic with a median in the middle, um, and uh, you know there's a left turn lane or a right turn lane or whatever. Um, at that point, you at least have a, a sort of a in your head visual understanding of what this this intersection looks like and then you can at the same time what i do as a blind person is after i get that description now i start connecting the traffic patterns and the way that things sound to the way that they've been described Mm -hmm. the agent if they can see the traffic light the traffic signal they they are more than capable to tell you um you know when when that signal is green or red or whatever um, but if they can't, or and they are trained that if there's any ambiguity, ambiguity at all, um, so if there's if there, let's say there's a reflection, it's a sunny day or something like that, they always err on the side of I can't see it, okay. I'm not to discern it. So yeah. um, it's 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 really interesting for me. Uh, and I mentioned at the beginning that I, I had the I was really really delighted to try this stuff out last year. We were doing uh, a piece of testing um, with Ira in advance of a conference they were attending here in Dublin and went around Trinity College, Greg. And I was telling you this off air just before we started. And walking um, from the main entrance of Trinity College over to the Book of Kells, which is a building in the college where the Book of Kells is, ha- is, is housed. And um, Amy, um, your VP of, of customer service, you mentioned her already, was, was, was my agent for the test. And she was even saying stuff like we were getting to, there was a flight of stairs going up to the building. And she said, I'm just going to get you to wait there a sec. Move, move slightly to your right because there's a whole lot of tourists coming down. It was incredible to have that type of stuff. Yeah. 
you know, it, uh, and you know, the, one of the things, Stuart, that I, I think um, people forget is that there's so many benefits in navigation situations like the airports and like the tours and like the, you know, those type of things, because those are some of the most challenging situations that we find ourselves in. But one of the, the phrases that um, one of our explorers used, and I, I, she, I asked her if I could, could use this when talking about the service, is she says, because I said, what do you use Ira for? And she's like, Ira helps me out with my daily annoyance things. And I said, well, explain that. And she calls them her blind time taxes. And I said, I love that phrase because she, she says, she's like, I have alternative ways to do things like reading the mail. But you know, by the time I get out an OCR app or I run it through a flatbed scanner or whatever, it just takes me about 30 to 40% longer than it would a sighted person. Yeah. And Ira allows her to bypass what she calls the, the blind time tax. And I thought that was brilliant because yeah. at that stage, you think about every single blind person in this entire world. Like, mail is the bane of our existence. Mm -hmm. It really is. It's just, it's so irritating to get a piece of paper in the mail because a sighted person can look and, you know, and, and immediately filter through that and say, this is junk, this is not. And then if it's not junk, then they can go in and, and you know, open it up and just get the gist of what the letter's about or what, what if it's a bill or if it's something else. And that's what an IRA agent, going through mail with an IRA agent is exhilarating because I can get through mail in like three minutes. And, you know, that's, I think that of, of some of the things that Ira really has, has been impactful is those sort of daily annoyances that just become a pleasure to use it with um, because it's so much more efficient. And I think that that's where, you know, a lot of people talk about how Ira makes things more accessible. And, and in certain cases we do, there are inaccessible things in life, but I think, one of the things that that this service also does is make us as blind people um, a lot more efficient as well. Okay. Now, let's talk a little bit about the technology. We've, we've talked lots, I suppose, about how the service works and, and the agents. The, you mentioned there's a you can either use the camera from your phone or the smart glasses, and I, I've, I've been using the smart glasses. And these connect wirelessly either to your device or to a mobile hotspot, isn't that right? That's correct. Yeah. So we, um, as you can imagine, uh, video from the smart glasses can take a fair amount of data. And so if you don't have an unlimited data plan, one of the things we wanted to make sure is that we, we, we ensure that we cover that data. And so the mobile hotspot is, uh, it, we work with our global partner, AT&T here in the States, um, and they have global connections to all the, the tell providers everywhere. And so these mobile hotspots are what manages the data. So you connect the glasses wirelessly to the phone and to your global hotspot or your mobile hotspot at that point. And your app, your IRA app, uh, just recognizes that they're, they're connected. It sort of happens automatically at that point. So you're walking around with the glasses and the audio from the agent then is coming from your phone. That's correct. Yep. So I personally use the the AirPods connected to my phone. Mm -hmm. um, that's what I use. I know a lot of people who use the Aftershocks bone conduction headphones and things like that. Or you can just flat out use the speakerphone on your phone. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's up to you. Um, for a completely hands-free experience, I like using the, the Bluetooth or wired headsets just so that I'm, you get the audio 
you know, silently to you. And then the, uh, the glasses, um, of course, are being worn. Okay. So we have the glasses, we have the phone, we have the hotspot. Uh, when, when I was playing with them here, I just paired, I used my mobile phone as a wireless hotspot, connected the glasses to the phone. It was all very straightforward. And initially, Ira will help you with that setup. Correct, um, exactly. On your first call, um, that is one of the things with the, the onboarding is they make sure that your glasses are connected to your phone, make sure that that whole process goes well. So if you are a person who prefers to use it with the wireless hots or with your, your phone as a hotspot, that's, you know, you eliminate one extra piece of kit that you need to bring. So um, so they're, they're able to help you out with that initially as well. Um, um, and, and there is some new technology, I think, coming along in terms of the, the glasses. Um, and I know one of the things that you've you guys have been looking at is this is a wired solution, I presume, to make video transfer a little more stable? Yeah, so we, uh, when was that? Back in March, April, um, we announced the, the the design of our own smart glasses, the, the Horizon Smart Glasses Kit. Um, and basically what comes in this kit is, so you, you're, you're basically reducing your kit down to two items rather than three. So um, we have a... a uh, it's called the Horizon Phone. So this is actually a smartphone that is um, the only purpose of this phone is to run Ira. And the reason we we actually repurposed a phone is because the cell antenna inside of the phone is so much more powerful than what we get in the hotspot, number one. But the reason we're using a wired connection is because, as you said, the, the video transfer speed uh, is much higher. Um, and we get a much better uh, connectivity rating at this point. So one of the things you can imagine when you're going glasses to wireless hotspot to phone, there's a lot of opportunity for, for wireless drops to occur. And we, we do see that in, in some sort of poor cell connection, cellular connection areas. Um, in a position where your phone or the, the phone itself would probably maintain that connection because we're dealing with wireless hops between glasses and hotspot and phone it it causes that connection to sort of drop much uh, much easier and so with the horizon phone um you just connect there's a um actually a patented uh design on the back right arm of the glasses that has a usb connection and you plug in the cable it just naturally falls down your back that's the reason why it's patented is because the the wire just naturally stays out of your way um and uh, it connects directly into the horizon phone the phone itself has one uh tactile button on it and we use that button to do a number of things but what's really cool about this is that for people who don't have a smartphone um, this gives them an opportunity to use Ira because right now you have to have the Ira app to be able to, um, oh, so, right. to so, use it. So you so, can use Ira independently with this, just with this solution with no, with no smartphone. Exactly. Okay. Correctly. So there's, there's two ways of using it. If you are a smartphone like yourself, this would basically just swap out uh, your existing glasses. So you would use the Horizon kit, and when you have the glasses connected, you'd see on your iPhone or your Android phone that you use just for your regular phone, you'd see that the glasses are connected the same way that that it happens today. Um, But if you're a person who doesn't use a smartphone, or, you you know, I've I've gone for a walk and just left my cell phone uh, at home, um, you can use the Horizon phone itself 
uh, as a standalone device and do everything just with the device. What's really cool about that is if you don't have the knowledge of how to use voiceover or talkback, just simply double pressing the call button. That's the, it's, it's a Samsung repurposed Samsung phone. So it's the home button. We call it the call button. Um, if you just double press that, it makes the phone call for you and you double press it again and it stops. So wow. it's very, very simple for even uh, the, the lowest of tech people to, to learn. Yeah. And because, you know, especially because not everybody likes touchscreen phones and, and that's exactly. absolutely fair enough. So these new glasses, are we going to see these later this year or have you, have you an estimated release time? So, what we're doing right now is we're doing we're releasing 200 of them in the states um sort of as a preview uh opportunity so it's a way for us to get um to to have our existing explorers who signed up to use them um and it gives us a way to kind of work out the the kinks if there are any um early on and then we're looking to really roll them out later this fall Fantastic. So new glasses coming with a, a much easier interface, I suppose, an easier way to get in touch with the IRA agents if you don't have um, your smartphone with you or you just choose to use this solution as a standalone solution. Um, Greg, I suppose the big news for, for, for Irish listeners and I guess as well for maybe people in the UK if they still haven't signed up and, and I know I think in New Zealand uh, is the IRA pilot. And this is going to run, I believe, for the next six or so months. Yeah, yep, about the next six months, and uh, it's it's available right now. You can sign up to apply to be a, or you can apply to be a, a pilot tester in Ireland. You just go to ira.io slash global. So that's a i r a dot i o slash global, and uh, you can sign up to be. You select your country. You sign up to be a, a, a pilot tester, and then you'll get a call within two days. Uh, you know about uh, about your application is there is um, there a closing date for that for the pilot phase or are you kind of taking applications on an ongoing basis we're taking applications that we, I, I think we've got a set number i think we're trying to get i don't remember the number off is 50 or 40 or 50 i can't remember users um but uh we we have a set number of users that we're targeting to to, to get accurate information and, and the reason we're doing this is um this is all sort of uh, uncharted frontier for us you know we've not uh, we've we've never um, been you know seen the service we've we've seen you use it <laughs> yeah, in Ireland. yeah but but uh we want to make sure from a connectivity perspective that uh that things are working well and that uh remember the majority of our agents are still based in the u.s sure. um, we, we are looking to expand but we want to make sure we kind of work out the communication kinks as well with um with us with those folks not being uh local irish uh, yeah, yeah. People well. uh, absolutely understandable um although if they're in the states they probably have uh, irish ancestors somewhere i imagine absolutely <laughs> absolutely i know my wife does so. oh very good okay so so let's talk a bit about uh price how this thing is priced and and that probably is going to lead us on to something else very interesting called iris sites which i'm certainly very excited about but first of all maybe the the pricing structure that you've that you guys have adopted is is monthly Correct. Yep. Yep. And so for our for for the pilot testers, um, you you will be, um, I b- believe, yes. Our so there the billing is done still in U.S. dollars. So yeah. the equivalent. So it's eighty nine dollars U.S. Um, and for pilot testers, you would get double the amount of minutes that that you normally would uh, for that price. So in in the U.S., for example, you it, the pricing is done via a monthly uh, price, and then it's also a monthly minute 
allotment. So for $89 in the U.S., you would normally get 100 minutes of usage. For our Irish pilot testers and for, for those pilot testers in, in other countries, um, you would get 200 minutes. So it's double the amount of minutes. We want to make sure you're able to use the service uh, you know, significantly and get, get, get a lot of feedback. Um, it Right now, we're only testing the phone capability. So, as as I mentioned, um, you can the, the service can be used either with the glasses or the phone. For the pilot testers, for the time being, we're we're only using phone um, as an option. Um, we want to make sure we we work out a lot of the um, the the agent uh, you know things as well. And so, uh, but you can still do a lot with your phone. We we know a lot of people who actually have have purchased these really cheap uh, lanyards to kind of loop around your neck yeah. um, and the phone um, for a hands-free experience. Um, but quite honestly, for a lot of the stuff that I do in the house or um, you know anything like that, I, I don't always have my glasses on me. So yeah. I'll just pull the phone um, and away you go. And, so, and, and I presume when, when you do the phone option, you know, uh, the IRA agent will, will say if they can't see it or say, can you move the camera a little to the left? Or, exactly. you know, they, they, they'll give yeah. you that direction. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, it's eighty nine dollars uh, a month for two hundred minutes of usage, um, and then you will be uh, eligible to 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 move to glasses. Uh, okay. Six months. Or and so. that that would be sometime in the new year, I suppose. Uh, well, our or, hope, or our hope would be end uh, in end of this year, okay. but fingers crossed. But yeah. All right. So eighty nine dollars. I think last time I did a check, it was somewhere around seventy three euros over in this part of the world um, for two hundred minutes of usage per month. Now, Greg, I suppose. So one of the things that that people, and I know it's not just here, they've been saying it uh, around the world, is wouldn't it be great if we could use the use the IRA technology. Uh, free uh, and of course nothing is free but you have this really interesting innovation called iris sites um places like universities and and big big areas i suppose uh maybe um highly populated areas where you're trying to i guess install ira is that correct yeah so we've and this really came about because some businesses really approached us and said, you know, this is an innovative service and we would like to offer this as an accommodation for our blind or low vision, uh, you know, patrons who come to, to this business. And so it actually started, um, with the airports um, and we started talking to various airports about providing this as an accessibility option. And, uh, so in the U S I think we have, we're, approaching 15 airports or something like that um, where airports are basically paying for the IRA service and what we do is for the IRA access network you basically uh, we provide a geofence and what that is is just basically a, a an outline that we put on a map that when you're using a smartphone your location services in your smartphone it, you know it provides the GPS to our IRA agent and things like that but what it allows us to do is determine when you're in a IRA access site and so for example right now Minneapolis airport in Minnesota um, is uh, Seattle uh, Seattle Washington Seattle Tacoma airport is one there's a number of them but basically when you walk into a site access uh, or an IRA access site like that um, you'll get a notification on your phone that says that uh, calls here are free. And so, yes, you um, you pay for your monthly usage, but your time that's spent in those locations uh, does not deduct from your, your monthly minutes uh, at all. So um, 
and what's what's really cool about this is that it allows us to open up something called Ira Guest, and that is for people who've never used Ira before. Mm-hmm. Um, if they land in an airport and they're blind or low vision, they're able to basically download the app for free um, and use it in those locations completely free of charge. They don't have to be an Ira Explorer. Now, obviously, that uses the phone camera, but yeah. um, it's it's still an option and it's still a really really good option in those locations it struck me i was going on a, a flight uh, two weeks ago really early early morning flight i think it was i was arriving at the airport at 5 a.m in dublin and the taxi driver dropped me at the wrong door i think we just miscommunicated about which door i needed so uh, there's one particular door i'm used to going in and i go over to the uh, special assistance desk and i realized i'm at the wrong door i have no idea where the door is and i asked four different people all of whom did their best to help me and I thought afterwards this is where I could have just rang Ira and said I need to get to this door yeah yep, yep. it's uh, and and I think that that Stuart you hit you hit it right on the head that it's it's such a new concept that just integrating it into your life is is sort of a change that we we personally need to make as well um, there's plenty of times where I've said the exact same thing is oh man why why was I so stubborn to do that myself and it could have been 10 <laughs> times easier to use Ira so <laughs> But it's amazing. I mean, I'm sure you guys are, are get hearing stories all the time of people using this technology in ways you guys never thought of, never imagined, you know, and I suppose you just have to type IRA into YouTube, as we said earlier on, there's loads of stuff. Where is it? I was going to say, where is it all going? It's probably because it's going so fast. It's probably hard to know where it's going. But <laughs> what, what's, we, what's the future, you know? Well, the the, the future in in. It, we all sort of agree that the future is artificial intelligence. Mm. Um, we we will. I don't. I don't believe we're ever going to get to a point. Well, I can't say ever, but not in the really near future where we're going to take the human completely out of the loop. The human provides us such a unique aspect of our service um, that is so customizable. We we will. What we will see though is artificial intelligence augmenting the human uh, interaction. And yeah. so, um, just by um, a an artificial intelligence agent is what we call. So the the idea that we are developing an artificial intelligence agent. Her name is Chloe. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, and uh, so the idea for the future. I mean, if you can imagine, is imagine you're on a call with um, with an agent, and during that call, you say, "I need to get to so and so." At that point, just that dialogue. Um, could initiate an automatic population of a interactive map that would immediately pop up on the agent's dashboard without them even needing to do it. Or imagine that um, you know the, that you uh, you're you're looking for directions, or you're um, you're looking for cooking instructions, or something like that. A web search could already be popped up for the agent to have um, have them already have that information at their fingertips without them needing to do anything or taking their eyes off your video. Um, so there's there's a number of things that we're looking at um, potential integrations with with third parties and things like that 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 could make Ira more readily available in the mainstream. And um, you know all of this is is not not really just science fiction anymore. There's a lot of really crazy. AI stuff that's out there that we can already take advantage of. Um, some of the the early stuff that I didn't even touch on is with these Horizon glasses. Um, you know, I can I can already talk to Chloe. She's she's actually a. I can do a quick demo, but I can say, yeah. "Hey, Chloe, what time is it?" Sorry, 
Well, that's there we go. <laughs> what what time is it? Sorry. Ah, you're you're killing me. She just doesn't want to do this. She knows she knows you're live. <laughs> she is, she but, is upset but, with me. But, but you can already you you are able to um you know with with horizon glasses you can do a lot with your voice um and. I can ask her things like, uh, you know, how many minutes do I have left? Uh, right. After the end of a call, you can actually run through that call rating process just with your voice. So she'll say, uh, you know, was your experience good or poor? Mm -hmm. You can say it was good. Do you want to leave a comment? Okay, go ahead and submit it. Boom. It's very similar to things like, hey, Google yes. or Amazon Alexa or things like that. Um, but as, as time progresses, Chloe is going to be able to not only help you with daily um, information, but she'll be able to kind of be there alongside you, understanding your world. And so I want to imagine a scenario where down the road, she's actually seeing information as you're passing it. So then let's say that you, you go into a restaurant or something like that and you get your food and now you need to throw away your trash. Imagine a scenario where you could say, Chloe, where was the trash can? And she would be able to say and actually remember that you yeah, passed the trash yeah, can. Yeah. I mean, that's it's still pretty far-fetched, but the, the possibilities are, are endless with AI. And I think with that human-in-the-loop aspect, we're going to get there a lot faster than um, than, than maybe some other uh, options. Out there. Absolutely. And, and I suppose I like that mix of AI and refining the AI whilst keeping that human in the loop because i suppose there are things that you're always going to need the human for um, you you are and i think the human also adds a really personalized aspect to um to our service um there's there's a number of agents you you ask some really cool you know what what are some really cool uh ways that people are using ira one of the ways that i never envisioned um and this this came up you know a little while ago was an explorer actually put together there's a furniture store called ikea oh yeah 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 we have it here uh, yeah, yeah. so if you've ever bought anything from ikea before um it always comes in these flat boxes mm -hmm. and there's about twelve thousand pieces yeah in each yeah <laughs> And an explorer put together, I think it was like a bureau or something like that, um, themselves with an IRA agent. Took them like three and a half hours. I was going to say, uh, that must be a long call. It was, it was. And I think they were one of our unlimited users, which is great. Um, I hope so. But they, they, um, yeah, they put together uh, one of those. And I've, I've put together uh, an IKEA piece of IKEA furniture before. And it took myself, my brother, and my dad to be able to do this. And it took us probably three hours, the three of us. Yeah. So when I heard this, I was like, that that's pretty incredible. And the way that the agent helped them, uh, you know, they, they could have read the instructions probably with the glasses or with the phone camera looking at the paper instructions. But our agents are super resourceful and they have the entire World Wide Web at their fingertips. And so what they did is they just looked it up online, downloaded the PDF, and boom, they had it right there on their computer screen to be able to, to walk the person through it. Uh, fantastic agents with huge um, initiative, I'm sure, no doubt. So it's, it's great to see. Uh, Greg, we, we, could talk, we could talk all day about this because it's really exciting stuff. It was the, when I got the IRA, and it was really interesting how this happened, I was telling you before we started recording, we got an email into NCBI last year from Amy saying, 
saying, would anyone be able to help us with IRA? And I was, you know, because there's lots of emails that come in about things. And I was saying, I wonder what this thing is. And then I started looking it up and there was videos. And I said, this is really cool. And it's kind of blown my mind. And I know so many people that I've talked to are very excited about it. So thank you for talking to us. Um, People can sign up for the pilot and we'll put the link on the show notes for this episode. Greg, I I know this is going to go from strength to strength. So I hope we can get you back maybe next year and tell us what's been going on. But for the moment, thanks a million for your time. Absolutely. I'd love to. Thanks again for the invite and uh, look forward to talking to you guys soon. Now we're almost at the end of this month's podcast, but if you remember on the June edition, we launched a very special competition to celebrate six years of our technology podcast. Our friends at Fujitsu, our charity partner, have given us a 50 euros one for all gift voucher. And I certainly didn't want to be the person who made the choice because there was some really good entries coming in when we asked people to email to say, I listen to NCBI's technology podcast because. So we asked Fanula Murphy, our head of communications and fundraising, to come in and take this awful decision off me. Fanula, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Stuart. Was it a tough decision? It was, Stuart. So some really good entries. Um, first of all, I think it's fantastic that we're celebrating six years of the podcast. Um, I couldn't believe it when, when you said it was six years. Uh, but it's great, and it's been a constant monthly presence there. And I think the entries that came in show that and show why people enjoy listening to it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I was reading them, I was kind of thinking, they're all fantastic. So I was very glad to give that piece of work to you so thank you for doing that for us you kindly gave that job to me Uh, so 50 euros gift voucher is about to go to someone Fanula who is the winner yep so it's Martin Kelly and the reason being Martin um, gave us a short paragraph on why he enjoys listening to the podcast and there were a couple of things that I thought really kind of captured it really well so he spoke about um, the fact that now with technology our horizons show no boundaries uh, because of how the world of assistive technology is developing and improving um, opportunities for people who are blind or vision impaired and I think that really captures the um, the essence of the podcast I suppose and what we're ultimately trying to achieve um, he also mentioned that assistive technology enhances our lives and feeds our inquiring minds and I think that the inquiring minds bit was the other thing that struck a chord with me just that no matter what your experience or interest in assistive assistive technology I think everybody who's involved with it has that curiosity and that need for more information and desire for to see to keep an eye on the progress that's happening around the world absolutely fantastic well congratulations Martin excuse me we'll be in touch to arrange your 50 euro gift voucher to be sent to you Fanula thank you for doing that very difficult job Uh, really appreciate your help and looking forward to speaking to you soon thanks Stuart thanks very much Fanula for that Uh, that was Fanula Murphy, our uh, head of communications and fundraising, uh, taking that very difficult job off my hands. And major congratulations to Martin Kelly, who's the winner of our 50 euros one for all gift voucher. I must say there was a really great um, quality of entries that came in over the last couple of weeks. And I was passing them to Fanula going, oh, there you go. There's another one. Uh, so I'm really glad Fanula took on to do that job and make that difficult decision. There can only be one winner. And uh, Martin Kelly is that winner. Um, now, uh, 
thank you for uh, joining us for this month's podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. It was a long one, wasn't it? Uh, but I think you'll agree, Greg Stilson, that that whole era thing is uh, really interesting. And uh, if you're interested in participating in the pilot, uh, go on to the uh, IRA, rather, IRA website, and uh, you can find out all about it. Um, coming up next month, uh, Sharon Lyons will be back. We didn't have a Sharon's Shortcuts this month, and apologies for that, especially to Sharon. Uh, due to a technical issue uh, at my end, not at Sharon's end, that prevented me airing Sharon's shortcuts. So she will be back in August and we better give her a slightly longer slot or something like that. Uh, also in August, Sean Doran is going to be along talking about why we shouldn't be using Internet Explorer. Uh, we were going to try and get that in this month, but didn't have enough time. And I'm going to play for you in its entirety a lovely interview that I did with uh, the late Paul Trainer back in 2015. It's really nice. I'm looking forward to playing that. My thanks to our contributors this month, Lucy Greco, Rebecca Curtis, Greg Stilson, and of course, Fanula Murphy. We'll talk to you in August. Until then, enjoy this super sunshine. Uh, Have a good month. Take care and speak to you in August. From Stuart Lawler, goodbye. Goodbye.